Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first Game of Loans podcast episode of 2024. And it's this time of year that we're all looking ahead to the future, making predictions, making targets. And that was basically the theme of my Monday Mortgage Melt Q&A that I did on New Year's Day, talking about how I'm setting my goals, how I'm setting my targets, how I am predicting what's going to be sort of happening or, or how I'm sort of prioritizing all the things that I want to be doing. Because, of course, as entrepreneurs, we have about a million and one things that we want to do, but it's about stacking them in the right order and figuring that out. So I go through that in a little bit as well as answering questions and making predictions um, on what's going to be happening over the next 12 months or so. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode, of always, as always, I should say, is of course sponsored by Grand Union Finance, the property investors brokerage. If you need any help with your mortgages, bridging finance, development finance or commercial mortgages, you know where to come. It's the finance family that is Grand Union Finance. So click the link in the show notes below to get in touch with a member of the team to help you out. Enjoy the episode. See you soon. Happy New Year. Welcome to episode 173 of the Monday Mortgage Melt, the first of 2024. Exciting times. We're hitting a new year. I always find I get a sense of excitement this time of year going into, you know, a, a new year. It's kind of like you can kind of refresh things. It's a it's a, it's a kind of a, a, a way of segregating what's come before and, and what's going to happen, you know, moving forward. So happy new year to you all. I hope you're as buzzing as I am for 2024. I've, I've gone on record over the last couple of weeks to say that I feel like the last few years, when we look at sort of 2021, like we have 2020, like the pandemic, 2021, 2022, you know, the difficulties with, with COVID. We've had 2023, which was kind of like the, the difficult economic year. Um, and I feel like 2024 is the year where we can like so, a lot of people that I think I'm just getting a lot of sense of excitement from so many different people going into 2024 that they're this is going to be a big year. Now I actually spoke to somebody recently who said to me, "So um, you say this every single year? Do you think next year is going to be the biggest year?" Well, actually, if you know if things are going right, then every year should be the biggest year. You know, um, I've said you know last year from from a Grand Union Finance perspective. We did not hit the kind of targets, uh, beard back strong. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Um, it needs a bit of a trim, actually. It's getting, getting. Uh, it's definitely Christmas growth, shall we say? Um, but, but you know, I think that uh, last year we, I've said, I've said quite a few times, Grand Union Finance, we did not exceed our expectations by any stretch of the imagination. It was a tricky year. Um, I had some personal stuff that I was reconciling that I saw had an impact on the business, which I is now kind of made me realise that I need to make sure that. You know that uh, you know my personal you know health or you know what mental well-being is not gonna you know cause an issue to the business. The business has got to you know be um, be be something that is you know works independently of me. And I think every good business should run completely independently of its owner. Should be able to prosper um, just with the direction that that owner gives. Um, so um, yeah, what was it saying? Um, Shamsi said, break free year. Yeah, I kind of, I think like, you know, we, we've got a lot going on, I think in 2024, that's going to be really, really positive. You know, our economy is slowly but surely improving, um, but there's so much opportunity. You know, I'm a great believer in, the, in, in there is opportunity and adversity. And I think this could be a year that many, many people in years to come look back on and say, that was my break free year. As, uh, as Shamsi said, as Shamsi says, it's the you know it's the it's the year that I I made massive strides. I didn't just two x three x four x what I was doing. I ten x, um, and that's certainly what I'm looking to do this year on many different fronts. I break down my goals into lots of different micro um, uh, facets, you know, and um, and there's lots of 
um, like in, in, internally I've got like a tiny little thing that then has three or four little mini things underneath. So it's really, really important. Um, I think when you're goal setting to not just have these massive, just overarching goals that are so difficult to achieve in such a small period of time, in this, in this case a year, but looking at some of the big things that you wanna do and then breaking those down into what tiny little jobs you'd need to do um, you know, tiny little jobs that, that need to be, things that need to be ticked off in order to achieve that. You know, we've got big, um, to give you a great example, we wanna recruit quite a lot, um, not just in terms of Grand Union Finance individually, but in terms of the Union X group um, and on a more sort of like macro level. So that to me then says, right, from a growth perspective, from the point of view of, um, you know, how do I actually then recruit? How can I do that quicker? So setting up like a some sort, some sort of kind of, um, recruitment video course is something that's on my agenda in the first quarter of this year. So the, the onboarding of new brokers, new staff members just becomes that little bit easier for me to do. So as we grow another part of the goals that we are setting, which is our lead generation, our marketing, all that kind of stuff, the two will go hand in hand. You know, the more, the more people that are calling Grand Union Finance because they need our help, the more people we need to pick up those phones. So we need to be able to, those kind of two are so interlinked and we need to be able to do that for both. So when you're thinking about your goals for 2024, really be scaling down to the tiniest little things. Why does this need to happen? What is the impact? And how is that gonna feed into your bigger business goal? One thing that I've certainly learned over the course of 20, uh, 2023 is that I very much enjoy and embrace the business owner aspect of my job. And that's gonna be something that I focus on much, much more going into 2024. I've realized, you know, in terms of growing Grand Union Finance and then obviously now bringing in into, into play the, the Union X group, which is gonna be out there buying, growing and, and investing into other businesses to help, you know, grow out what we as Grand Union Finance can offer our clients. You know, we're gonna be announcing very soon the first company that we've invested into, which is mega, mega exciting and actually, the company that we invested into with my involvement and i'm not i'm just you know i'm i'm open and honest in saying that with my input with my involvement has gone through a change you know we are that business is now looking different to when i invested into it because i be, i believed that we were almost there and we had to do something slightly different to turn it into a service that the people that you know the, the avatars that the perfect clientele would then be able to utilize a lot better so i think this year is going to be massive. I'm personally very, very excited. We're going to hit, I think, 200 episodes of the uh, of the Monday Mortgage Melt this year in June or July sometime. So we're going to be doing a live event for that. Um, we are um, together with a couple of other businesses. We are talking about doing something towards the end of 2024 as a big event, uh, which is going to be mega, mega exciting. We are looking at built ways of building our Grand Union Finance community with other things. Events will be included in that as well that will just be open to Grand Union Finance clients and partners. So there's so much, so much to be excited for going into this year. Um, and I'm really happy that I can jump on and do an episode of the Monday Mortgage Mail on the first day of the year. Now, one of my other big goals for this year, you guys that follow me will know all about this. Um, I've set myself a target to hit five million steps this year, which constitutes 13, just under 13,700 steps every single day. Um, as the time of recording, we are up to 15,972 steps for today. 
So we are well in front of our goal, um, and it was also peeing down with rain today. So it was cold, it was pissing down with rain, so really there's absolutely no excuses. So guys, if you wanna join the challenge, you do not have to be challenging yourself to hit five million steps as I am this year. The whole purpose of me doing that, and this goes back to what I was saying before, setting a goal without a reason for setting that goal is pointless. There's no point doing it, okay? Because number one, when things get difficult, you're not gonna actually end up doing it. And secondly, what's the point in doing something just for the point of doing it? There's gotta be a reason for it. One thing that I think walking does is number one, it's an undervalued form of exercise in my humble opinion. I think it's massively underrated. Getting out and, and actually just walking is a really underrated form of exercise. People talk about, oh, you need to go and do a hit routine. You need to do spin. You need to do all this kind of crap. Yeah, great, whatever you wanna do. But I think walking is massively underrated. So for me, physically, it's massively gonna help me um, by, by doing that, by averaging that every single day. Now, don't forget, I'm not going to hit that every single day because there are gonna be certain days when I might be you know, stuck in the office and not be able to do steps. Um, and other days, I'll be able to do more than that 13,700. Hence why today is so important to get that up. Um, so uh, there we go. Um, Good, good to see Creamers out uh, for a walk. Well done. I want you to be posting. If Guys, I was going to say, please join the Facebook group. If you want a link to that, just DM me. I'll send you a link. Um, join the Facebook group. Make sure that you're, you're posting how many steps you've done each day. But it's good for your physical health, as I've mentioned. But for me, the big, big one is it's good for your mental health, but I think it's good for your business health, okay? So today is a great example, okay? So I had... I was fleshing out some ideas. I was talking earlier on about the fact that we need to recruit at Grand Union Finance, but the, I'm really good at the big ideas. I'm not as good at breaking those down into the smaller ideas. That's why I have my team. I've got my management team. I go to them. I've got other people. You know, this Thursday coming, um, I've got a little group. Uh, we're jumping on a Zoom. We're going to be talking about our goals 2024. We're doing like an, a, a, a quarterly accountability type meetup on Zoom. I have a monthly, uh, I have monthly sit downs with various different people where we talk about our businesses and what we're trying to do. Um, but I, I, I. Um, so going for a walk is the time where I have my big idea and I can walk and I can think and I can go about how can I turn this big idea, how can I make that big idea a reality? How can I turn that into something that is actually a reality? How can that happen? What are the, what, what are the things that I need to happen before, 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 before? You know, you need to be looking at where I am now, how, there, there's the goal, and then I'm looking at one step back, one step back, one step back, one step back, oh, there I am. And then, you, and then you've got all your steps. And so really going out and doing that walk today, I was really thinking about recruitment. I was really thinking about onboarding. Uh, my mum, who's my PA, has put together a fantastic onboarding process from a compliance perspective in terms of filling out forms and that kind of stuff. She handles that completely. I don't need to do anything at all now because she has done that. It's amazing. The next step, which me and my operations manager, Ruby, need to work on, is the training aspect of that to make that as hands off from our perspective as possible. We, the, the idea is that we need to have people to be able to come into the business and be hitting the ground running with as little impact, as little input from us. Obviously, I am always there mentoring everybody in, in the business, but if we can get them up to speed as quickly as possible through you know videos, cheat sheets, um, all that kind of stuff, getting them ready, that's what we need to do. So that's what I was really thinking about today, really kind of putting some ideas into um, into my mind as to how I'm going to do that and what comes next, how we're going to, you know, where those, where videos are going to be stored, um, you know, how we're going to actually lay things out, what order we're going to do things in, all that kind of stuff. And that's one of the things, one of my jobs this evening um, is doing that. Another one is upgrading the website. 
uh, but I've been uh, trying to do that for the last few days and I, I'm not very technical. <laughs> so we are potentially gonna be announcing soon a partnership with a company that specifically works in web design um, to try and offer that service uh, a little bit cheaper than it normally would be to all the Grand Union Finance clients basically. So one thing that we're also working on this year in terms of this Grand Union Finance community is being able to offer services through other um, you know, partnered companies at a cheaper rate to, uh, to help out in other ways. So there we go. But anyway, guys, we're 15 minutes in to episode 173 of the Monday Mortgage Mail, and we haven't even started talking about questions yet. Now, there are a couple of questions from my stories, which I will get to, but to give you some insight, if you haven't been on one of these lives before, this is the Monday Mortgage Mail. It is my weekly Q&A where you get to ask me anything you want. Now, as the owner and director of Grand Union Finance, and with 17 years this year's worth of experience in arranging property finance for clients, um, our, most of the questions do stem towards the finance side of things. So we talk a lot about mortgages, particularly buy-to-let, HMO, service accommodation, social housing, commercial mortgages, that sort of thing. Um, and then we also talk about things like bridging finance, which is great for people that are looking to flip properties, renovate properties, do BRR, that sort of thing. Um, and we also talk about development finance and commercial finance and, and all that kind of stuff. We talk about predictions for where the markets can be going, how mortgage rates are, you know, are actually decided upon. We talk a little bit about property strategies. We get questions about property strategies all the time and how they're funded, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also, um, we, uh, we talk a lot about what's going on in the economy at the moment, because obviously that is big news. So if you want to ask any questions on any of those type of topics, please use a little um, speech bubble down there in the bottom sort of right left, is it right or left from your point of view? It's right for me, uh, bottom right hand corner, um, little speech bubble with a question mark, hit that type in your question, hit submit, and it will go into my list of questions. So that, and I'll be able to bring that up on the screen as you'll see in a minute when I go to my stories. So over the course of the day, um, I put a little story um, on, in, on Instagram so that people can ask what I call priority questions. These are the questions I ask at the beginning of the live, so it gives you time, you guys time a little bit of time to, uh, to think about the question that you want to ask me. So let's get on with those questions, have a little think, Get your questions down into the question box or the question speech bubble down in the bottom right hand corner. Don't stick them in the comments. That's for people to be chatting around, chatting about. Um, so you know, make sure that you're um, that you're doing that um, rather than using the comments. Um, I'm just trying to see if I can get rid of this request. Somebody keeps requesting to come on a video. This happened last time. It just keeps popping up. I don't know if any of you have done lives before, and it just keeps popping up once you. Uh, once you do it, I'm not sure how I can get rid of this person, but there we go. Let's see if I can do it. Can't figure it out. Um, let's have a look. They're not even on it. So they come, they come on, and then they uh, they are, they request to come on, and then they just leave. But the request keeps popping up, um, and it's really annoying. Um, I don't know how to get rid of it. Anyway, we'll just have to get on with it. Hey, Paul, happy new year to you. Right, so let's get on with the questions from my stories. Starting with this one, how do you finance a short um, London, how do you finance short London leasehold flats for residential? Okay, right, so um, this person is, I'm gonna go through this from an investment point of view as well, because I think it's really, really important to understand this, because I think this is gonna be a really good opportunity potentially this year if, especially if the leasehold and freehold reform bill becomes an act, which may very well happen. This was announced in the King's speech, if you remember, um, a couple of months ago. Um, it has been discussed in Parliament. There is a good good signs that, uh, that it is gonna be something that comes into play. Um, I've done a YouTube video all about it, so go and have a check, uh, go and have a, a, look, a read of that, a read of that, a watch of that. 
over on the YouTube channel. Uh, just type my name, Sam Norris, into YouTube. You'll be able to find the channel there. Um, alternatively, if you want a, a direct link to that video, just send me a DM and I will do that for you, no problem at all. Um, so I'm gonna look at that from an investment point of view and a residential point of view. So to start with residential. So when we are buying a residential home, a lot of the time we are buying a property um, using a mortgage. Uh, that is the main way of doing it. There are ways of using bridging finance to purchase properties um, that are, you know, um, that are going to be used as your residential home. That is where bridging finance kind of originated from. It was to bridge the gap between buying and selling a property. If you couldn't sell your property, um, you could buy the new one, um, use the equity in both those properties to buy the new one and then repay it when you sell and then refinance. That's, you know, that's how bridging finance was actually kind of came came into being. And since then, it's evolved into something that you can actually. Um, use a lot easier um, from an investment perspective and then they can help with renovations and things like that. Um, but realistically, when you're buying your own residential home, you wanna be doing it based on um, a residential mortgage if you can. Now, realistically, unless there are gonna be 30 years left on the lease at the end of the uh, term of the mortgage, most mortgage lenders are gonna to struggle to lend you the money that you need. Now, when people say short leases, sometimes they're not actually as short as they think they are. Um, anything really above 60 to 70 years is still mortgageable, really. And then what you wanna do is you wanna try and increase that lease, obviously, um, as you, uh, when you, you know, once you've lived in the property. If the reform bill comes in at the moment, you'll have something called a section 42 agreement, which will mean that you, um, the current leaseholder has an agreement with the current freeholder to increase the lease by a certain amount, and they've also um, agreed a price on that, and that that can be reassigned to you on completion. If you don't do that, if you don't get it reassigned to you, that, that agreement assigns you on completion, you will have to wait two years, and then you have, can go again. If the leaseholder and freeholder reform bill comes into, into effect and becomes an act, then that will be removed and you'll be able to do it whenever you want. Um, but you know that's one thing that you should probably be, be thinking about anyway at some point. Now, um, if, however, the, you know, the lease is a lot shorter than that, that's when you may come up against some problems. Um, and that's where maybe bridging might come into play and that's where you might want to um, have a think about that. Now, that will come under what we call regulated bridging. So it's an FCA regulated bridging loan. Not all lenders will do it and not all lenders will do it on short-term leases. So if you're gonna be doing something like that, you need to go and speak to a broker like us at Grand Union Finance. So if you are thinking about buying um, any kind of property with a short lease, make sure you come and speak to us first because we will be able to go through with you exactly what the process is, how, how you need to do it. Other people that you might need help with during the process, they might, you might need you know, a, um, a leasehold uh, surveyor or solicitor, you know, all this kind of stuff. So just, just be wary of, of that. It's a very technical, um, thing to be doing, you know, in terms of the financing, make sure you come and speak to us about that because we know how that all works, basically. Um, if it, so, um, so yeah, it's predominantly going to be with a mortgage on a residential, but if it's really short and it's unmortgageable, then we obviously need to be looking at a bridging loan. They're not the easiest things to do on a regulated residential basis. However, on an investment basis, they represent a really fantastic opportunity for investment purposes and to add value to a property. Now, when we talk about adding value to a property, a lot of the time we talk about BRR, and what that means is that you know we're buying refurbished refinancing, and that's how we you know we add value, we refinance, we pull some of our money back out, etc. etc. Pardon me. Um, now we don't need to renovate a property to add value. We can do what we call a paper development, and that means by doing something legally to add value to the property. In this instance, we're increasing the lease. Now, if the lease was down to say sub 20 years, we are really gonna see a low value 
um, of that property as a result of the lease being so low. Um, and if by increasing that lease, we, there's, you know, there's a good likelihood you're gonna be able to add some significant value to this property. Um, if you go back to on the Game of Loans podcast, to the episode that I did with Jason Patterson, um, maybe what I'll do is after I finish up here, I will put a link to that so that people um, off the back of this can, can go and listen to that particular episode. Um, if you also struggle to, to find uh, that, again, just DM me. Any links you want to anything that I've done, any content I've done, just send me a DM. I will, I will sort that out for you, no problem at all. I wanna try and make it as easy for you as possible to go and view that content. Um, but I did a... I did a um, a podcast episode with Jason Patterson. Jason is is known as the short lease king. Um, probably need to do some more content with him, really, at some point, um, because it is a really, really good um, a good uh, strategy, I think. Um, and and he talks about how he will look for properties that have particularly low leases where he can add value by increasing the lease. If if you think about it, if, you, if, if what you're going to buy it for, and then what you're going to and, and the value you're going to add. Sorry, what you're going to buy it for and the cost to, to extend the lease is a lot less than what the value of, of that property will be once that lease has been extended. Then it's a deal. It's, it's similar to BRR in many ways. Jason actually takes it a step further, or you could say two steps further, by looking at what he calls his trifecta strategy, where he can add um, he can add value by renovation, he can add an extra bedroom, and he can also extend the lease. If he can find a property he can do all three of those with, it's literally it's a win 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 situation because there are just there's so much value that you can add to a property like that. With these kind of properties, we can look at getting bridging finance to cover the cost of um, or, or a percentage of the cost of purchase, similar to a mortgage loan to value, um, and then potentially uh, funds that can either go towards or cover the cost of the lease extension itself. So if you're buying a property for 200,000, the lease extension, let's take it from 20 to 90 years, was gonna cost you 50,000. We could probably look at getting 150 grand in terms of, did I say 200,000 is the purchase price? 200,000, uh, 150 grand in terms of a bridge, 50 grand to cover the cost of the lease extension, and it might be worth 350,000 at the end of it, something like that. And then we can refinance that onto a buy to let mortgage, 75%, you're gonna be recycling some of your cash out of there. So really, really good deal. I made those numbers up, of course, um, but if you do find something like that, again, just get in touch with us. We do these kinds of bridging loans all day long. We know who the best lenders are. We work with all the best lenders. They love us. We love them, um, and, and and we get these, these things done at rapid pace. But that's how you would finance something like that. Guys, if you do have any questions for me, make sure you use the question speech bubble down here, um, and I'll get to them. But let's get cracking through these uh, because we are... I'm starting to run out of time a little bit. Let's just crack on. Um, oh, there we go. Right, so other question from my story. Um, I see Mona's added about 900 different questions, so I'll probably do one of those, Mona, and come back um, after I've done bonds with other people. The question from my story, how to refinance from residential to buy to let, moved in with family, already got an AST. Right, okay. We are gonna start seeing a lot more of this, I think, as people um, will uh, will start to, um, they'll have properties and they'll go, I don't know if I can really afford this mortgage. Maybe what I'll do is I'll move back in with my family and I'll rent this property out until things start to settle down a bit. Or I'll use that as the starting point to build out my buy-to-let portfolio. We've got clients that we're dealing with right now that are doing that exact same thing. And some of them have come up against some real problems. In fact, one of which has been given some terrible advice from another brokerage. Oh, and it's really uh, grinded by gears. I got quite upset when I was on the call with her as to how badly she has been treated. Um, but anyway, that's a story for another time. Um, so 
What I want to say uh, here is that um, if you are looking at doing something like this, you've got to be very, very specific because basically what we're talking about here is when it's your former main residence, ch changing that to a buy-to-let mortgage is not actually changing it to a buy-to-let mortgage, okay? It's, it, the traditional way of doing it is that you, you would sell, sorry, you keep this property, refinance it, use, you know, pull some equity out and go and use that as part of your deposit to buy another property. And they, we call that a let to buy mortgage. It's a, a FCA regulated buy to let mortgage essentially, where you're gonna put a new mortgage onto a property that you, you used to live in. Um, we call it a let to buy because you're letting your current property to buy another property. You're not buying a property to let it, you're letting a property to buy another one. So it's called a let to buy mortgage. Now, um, normally that would happen as, as you, sort of, you, you, you go through that, that process. Now, if we're not gonna be actually buying another property, this represents a bit of an issue because lenders aren't gonna be as comfortable with that. And there are very, very few lenders that actually will be able to help you in the situation that this particular question asks until we've reached a certain point of renting that property out. So if you are thinking about moving out of your property into family accommodation, rented accommodation, whatever it might be, um, you need to follow this particular logistical pattern. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to get consent to let from our existing residential mortgage lender. Now, if this person is in, the, in, this, uh, in this example hasn't done that yet, they will be in breach of their mortgage contract, i.e. their mortgage offer, if they rent that property out. So before they rent that property out, they have to get consent to let from their current lender. They need to ring them up. They need to say, well, I would like to apply for consent to let. It doesn't take very long at all. And I don't know of any lender after a certain period of time. As long as you've been living there for six months, a year or so, um, then usually it will be absolutely fine. You'll probably have to give them a reason. Just go, look, um, I don't want to live there anymore, but I can't afford to move. Um, I'd actually like to move back in with my parents and I'd like to keep my property. You know, that's generally fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, so you can do that. So you'll, um, first thing you do, consent to let. Second thing you do, Mr. I say Mr. Dr. Daniel Moses. Good to see you, my friend. Happy New Year. Um, that's the first thing you do, get consent to let. Second thing, get that property on the market to let and get a, um, get a tenancy lined up. In this example, somebody already has done that. That's good. Um, once you've got that tenancy agreement in place and a start um, date for that tenancy uh, nailed into the, di into the diary, obviously move out of your property into wherever you're gonna be living, whether it's a rented home, whether it's with family and friends, and then move all your accounts over. Get on the electoral roll there, put your bank account, credit cards, any accounts that you've got, move everything over and keep checking your credit file to make sure that everything on your credit file is showing that you're there, okay? You might need to wait a month or so to get your first bank statement through or something like that to, you know, proof that you live there. Um, and at that point, that is the point where we can apply um, to, to get the new mortgage on a let to buy basis, essentially. Um, there might be some lenders that would call it a buy to let mortgage, but really because of the short period of time since you've lived there and the fact that you don't have another property that you own, most would see it as a buy to let, uh, sorry, as a let to buy. So that's the logistical pattern we have to go for. So let's go through that again very, very quickly. We've got to apply for consent to let, get an AST, get a, let, a, a, um, a tenant lined up, get a start date, move out, move all your accounts over, apply to be on the electoral roll at the new place wherever you are, um, check your credit file, make sure it's all up to date um, and get those tenants in and then you can start applying to change your mortgage over. That's how we need to do it. Make sense? Good? Cool. If you've got any comments on that, you know, let me know in the comments. 
Um, any thoughts, any feedback, any ideas, any further questions on this particular subject, just let me know. Um, but it is something we're doing a lot of, and I think we're going to see quite a lot of this moving into the into the new year, where people are going to want to keep their property, um, and then um, they're going to be able to move on out. So, um, Erica, thank you so much. Good, glad it was good and easy. Right, okay, cool. Um, now, I'm going to do a slightly shorter video today, just as a heads up. So I've got a few things I need to do this evening. I'm pretty knackered. I didn't go out last night for... Uh, for, for New Year's, like many of you did, um, but I have been looking after, or helping to look after my um, my girlfriend's little one for the last two days as well, so um, I am a bit knackered from that. Um, but I've got lots of stuff to do this afternoon or this evening before we we uh, really get cracking tomorrow on um, uh, on the new year. So um, so I'm probably gonna take maybe three more questions. Um, so Mona, I don't think I'm gonna have a, a chance for all of yours, um, but I'll do one first. Um, so you've got four, which one do you want, or three, which one do you want me to do? Um, we've got one about um, leasehold extensions, um, how to find people that would lend you money, um, well, one better to do, there's a much, okay, there's, there's a lot in there. Okay, cool. Um, what I'm going to do is, um, Mona, tell me which one of your questions you want me to answer, and I'll answer that. Um, and I'm going to answer um, Annalel's question first. What would be a reasonable amount to offer as a return for an angel investor? Oh, this is a good one. Right. So first and foremost, um, okay, Erica says leasehold extensions. Um, okay, we've already we've kind of already gone through that, haven't we? So I wanted to maybe try and do something a bit different. But Mona, let me know what you think. Um, just put a heart on them. Let me have a look and see. I can't see that. So just maybe just re just just let me know in the comments which one and I'll I'll, I'll answer that one, Mona. Uh, but let's go through this one first. Um, what is a reasonable amount to as a return from an angel investor? Right? Number one, when we are talking to lenders, never use the term angel investor because the in like the exact the exact like dictionary definition of an angel investor is somebody that is not involved in the process at all. Lenders see that as a, a, a completely removed person that they can't do due diligence on and they want to be able to do that because they want to make sure that they can um uh that the origin of the funds are being used to purchase the property which obviously is from an angel investor an, an investor flat conversion value okay cool we'll, we'll get to that one in a sec mona um so the lenders are going to want to know the origin of the funds to, to the penny so, you know, and using the term angel investor is not the right terminology to use. I know it's what they use on all the courses, but don't use it as a, as a property professional, don't use the term angel investor, it's a private investor, okay? That's, that's what the terminology that we're gonna use because um, it doesn't, it gives the wrong impression as to who they are and what they're doing. But in terms of the return that you're offering, as low as you can get away with, really, I suppose. Um, but if we compare, this is another thing as well, is everyone gets really hung up on using private investors. I have clients that use private investors, and I don't think there's anything wrong in them, um, in using them, but I do think that in some instances, it's actually cheaper and easier to borrow money. When you are using a private investor, a lot of time there is emotion involved, you're direct to the individual that's lent you money, there's gonna be a lot more pressure on you, uh, they might be harassing you, all that kind of stuff. If you do it, if you borrow the money from an institution, it's a business transaction, and there's no emotion in it at all. So I think there's a really, there's something to be said for that. In addition to that, you have um, sometimes what you'll have is you will have a fixed rate of return with a private investor a lot of the time. So you might say, right, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to borrow a hundred thousand pounds of your money. I'm going to give you ten percent back, and that doesn't matter whether you give back to them in two months, ten months, 
or 15 months or what well, there might be a maximum time but if you give it back to them early um you're gonna have to pay for that no matter what with a bridging loan as an example you only actually end up paying for what you use we have a lot of clients at grand union finance that yeah when you factor in all the all the um all the costs of the finance so things like fees valuations like when you should be getting a valuation anyway legal fees you should be getting legals anyway the the, the private investor will probably be wanting to have their own solicitor most people pay for that as well so people are like well it's so much cheaper than getting a bridging loan no because you still pay for all these fees as well work that out and add that into the cost of your funding um, when you're doing this but so um, say for example it is that's used 10 percent with the private investor as our pound for pound um if we were borrowing say at 14 percent with a bridging loan when you include all the fees that is by keeping that that whole amount for the full say 12 months term if we repaid it of five months, six months, seven months, which I'd say five to seven months is the average that we refinance out our clients um, when we're doing things like HMO uh, conversions, BRRs, that kind of thing. It's probably five to seven seven months is where we, we cash out, where we refinance. We're only gonna be paying for five to seven um, uh, uh, months worth of that interest. So it might only be that we're only paying five six or seven percent plus say a two percent fee plus let's say one percent just to cover all other costs so if that's seven if that's um say um one percent per month and it's six months at six percent plus three that's um that's nine percent that we're going to be paying compared to ten percent that you're going to be paying on as a private investor does that make sense um i do think ten percent is about right i've heard people paying twelve percent i've heard people paying eight percent when i borrowed uh, for my, I, I paid for my entire first uh, flip through a private investor and we, char we charged them 6% because at the time, um, the banking base rate was 0.1%. That was a really good return for that particular individual. Okay, they were also a family friend, um, which made life a little bit easier as well. Um, and they wanted to do us a favor, to be perfectly honest with you. I did it with my dad, so it's family friend and they wanted to help out. But any, anywhere on that spectrum from eight to 12%, I'd probably say is pretty normal. Make sure that you always look at a comparison with a bridging loan because it may work out cheaper actually doing it with a bridging loan as it will be using a private, invest, uh, private investor. So just you know, be, be sure to check those things out. Always come and have a chat with us first. Um, and if you are even thinking about buying a property, say it's a BRR project or an HMO conversion or something like that, if you are thinking about doing that and it's going to, um, uh, and it's going to cost, um, and, and you're looking at refinancing on the back end, um, always come and speak to us as well because we need to look at what things we need to do to, to get ready for that refinance with the origin of funds, as I've mentioned. Um, no problem at all. Um, that's, uh, this is what I'm here for, here to help. Here to help, guys, of course. Okay, so we're going to do the question from Mona, which was about the conversion, wasn't it? Um, the flat conversion okay so this is the next one and um, this is going to be my last question of the day um, so uh, Mona has asked if I convert a one-bedroom flat to a two-bed will it add much more value trying to consider cost versus reward this is something where it will change from area to area um, because there are going to be certain areas you've got to also think about it from this point of view some areas one-bedroom flats are going to be massively in demand and two-bedroom flats aren't there are other areas where two bedroom flats are massively in demand and one bedroom flats aren't. So firstly, if you're gonna convert something into something else, you wanna make sure that you're looking at an area that has low demand for the thing you're gonna buy and high demand for the thing you're gonna convert it to. And that goes for anything, okay? If there's low 
um, demand for garages, but high demand for studio apartments, and you can convert a garage into a studio apartment, that's a good strategy. If you are in an area where there's low demand for commercial property, but high demand for residential one-bedroom flats, and you can convert um, you know, a, a three-story um, commercial property into three one-bedroom flats, that's obviously gonna add significant value to it. So there is not a one-size-fits-all answer to this, Mona. This is, this is a, um, it will also come down to not only just the area and the demand, but the cost of that particular project. Because in some areas, converting a one-bedroom to a two-bedroom um, might take, might, might cost you 20 grand. In other areas, it might cost you 100 grand. Um, so you've got to think about those kind of things as well. Um, so there's a few things to take into account um, you, there's no just like one size fits all. You've got to look at every single thing. This is, you know, I'm not, and I'm not suggesting that you're lazy by any stretch of the imagination, Mona, at all. Um, but this is where I speak to a lot of investors and they just want a quick un answer. You know, they want an, an easy answer. And the easy answer does not exist in property. You will go on these courses and they will tell you that you can become financially free in two years. You can do this, you can do that, you can do the other. Yeah, great, you probably can but it's hard work, okay? And the people that have succeeded in property are the ones that have genuinely worked the hardest or have got incredibly lucky, or a bit of both, to be honest. Most of my clients that are, that are the most successful people that I work with are people that work incredibly hard. You see on Instagram, they are doing stuff at 11 o'clock at night. They are doing stuff at six in the morning. This is how it how it starts off, okay? Not, it doesn't, it's not gonna be like this forever, but it's how it starts. When you're starting out, you've gotta work 20, 10 times harder than the person next to you. You've got to put the time and the effort and the work in to make life easier for yourself further down the line. So Mona, with this, when you are looking at something where you're gonna convert a one bedroom flat into a two bedroom flat, you've got to do your research. Find the areas where two bedroom flats are massively in demand and massively more in demand than one bedroom flats and find yourself a project there and then work the figures. What can you buy it for? What's the cost gonna be? What's the end value gonna be once you've got the two bedrooms? Don't forget as well, you've got to make sure that the, the value, um, sorry, that the, 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 the size of the bedrooms meets the minimum um, minimum standard minimum requirement in the country for what a, a what a bedroom size is. I think it's ten meters squared, um, but maybe someone can can double check on that for me. Um, but make sure that you're doing it right as well. Check that you don't need planning. Check whether you do need planning or not, um, and just do everything above board. Make sure that you're checking all these figures before you get started is my biggest biggest um, piece of advice I can give. And obviously, as you are checking these figures, just send me a DM and we can go through all of these kind of things. This is what we do a lot at Grand Union Finance. We go through figures with clients. I've got a call with a client tomorrow talking through um, a new purchase that they're looking at, um, need a bridging loan. We're just gonna work out whether it works at the price that they're being asked to pay for it, basically. Um, it's as simple as that. Once you know the purchase price, the cost of the works, the end value, or GDV, gross development value, and if you're gonna rent it out, rental value, we can quite easily work out whether the deal stacks up um, just by chucking a few figures into a calculator very quickly. And then we can also look at how much money we would need to put into that deal to make it work, which obviously then we can see whether that works for you as well. So um, hopefully that was useful, Mona. 
But, um, but there we go. We've reached the end of the first uh, Monday Mortgage Melt of the year. Um, I'm finishing a little bit early, just got a bit knackered over the last couple of days. Um, but happy new year to you all. Um, if you haven't joined my broadcast channel, by the way, um, you can click the link in my bio. Um, there's, there's a thing like just underneath where my bio is, things that join the broadcast uh, channel. Go in there, I'm updating that pretty much every single day with hints and tips and advice that I don't just give to everyone. Um, anything that we do in terms of new, um, uh, there's sort of web, free webinars that are coming up, all that kind of good stuff. That's where all this stuff is announced first. Anything that's a first come first serve basis is announced in there first. Um, we are gonna be launching um, lots of stuff over the course of this year, the next of which I'm gonna be doing a free webinar on how to um, get basically improve your property business through Instagram in the next couple of weeks. So make sure that you do get involved with that. Um, that's gonna, I'm gonna be announcing that probably in the next 24 to 48 hours or so. Um, if you want to be notified of that first, and have the opportunity to get on that webinar first, you have to be on the broadcast list, the broadcast channel, so go and join that. Um, there will be, or there should be, as long as uh, Insta uh, as long as LinkedIn, LinkedIn, as long as um, uh, YouTube helps me out, there should be a new video coming out this evening at, at seven o'clock, all about some of the top property strategies that I think are worth taking a look at into 2024 for various different reasons, so go and check that out. Um, and of course, if you don't already subscribe to the Game of Loans podcast, please go over and do that too. Guys, happy new year. I hope you have an incredible first week, an incredible first month, and an incredible 2024. Thanks for joining me for the first um, Monday Mortgage Melt of 2024. I will catch you on the next one. See you next week at five. Ciao for now, bye. Yep, that's it. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the episode, guys. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of the other Game of Loans podcast episodes, please, I would ask you a massive favor to leave a five-star review. It massively helps me grow the podcast and reach more people that will hopefully enjoy the episodes as much as you have. Thank you so much in advance for this, and I'll hopefully see you on the next episode.